Because we're going to talk this morning about amazing grace and basically amazing answer. Uh, Today is the 21st anniversary of 9-11. And there are many tie-ins to things that happened on 9-11 that also speak to the wonderful grace that is God's unmerited favor that we've received through Jesus Christ. And it goes back to this theme that you hear me keep addressing uh, repeatedly in lessons. That is that we are a rescued people. We're saved, which is the same thing as being rescued. And that changes everything in our life. Uh, we see everything different. And there's an example that you're going to see in a, on a video in just a moment from YouTube. Where the woman who was the last one to be rescued out of the rubble on 9-11 in New York City, speaks to her experience. She speaks to the fact that she thought she was dead. For 20, I believe it's 27 or 17 hours, either one, that's a horrendously long time to be buried. Uh, She thought she was gone, but she stayed alive, but then she was rescued. And she speaks about her life after the rescue. And this is just about four minutes long. I want you to listen to it, and I'm just going to ask at the end for just volunteers. Uh, for things that caught your attention, there's no right or wrong thing I'm looking for, just things that caught your attention, especially about her sense of who she is now that she's rescued and about the life change that happened after the rescue. Go ahead, Jay, when you're ready. My name is Janelle Guzman McMillan. I work at the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey at the LaGuardia Airport. In 2001, I was assigned as a, from a temp agency working for the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey at the World Trade Center. It seemed to be an emergency, a terrorist attack or something. And I was like, a terrorist attack? What is that? I think we have to leave. I think there is something where the plane hit the building. I don't know what's going on, but they said we have to leave. The building felt like an earthquake, like it's like it's really going to fall. After we kept going down 30-something staircase, um, we saw firefighters. And that's when I just felt the whole wall and the tum, the rumbling and everything that came crashing down. It knocked me to the ground when I realized that I couldn't move, I couldn't get up. I realized that this is not a dream, this is happening. I just closed my eyes and I said, Lord, am I gonna die here? And I was like, I knew I was gonna die because I knew the building collapsed, a 110 story building. And I, it, after a collapse like that, how could anybody find me with under the rubble and, uh, you know, so I was this guy that prepared myself to die. I was in so much pain and I knew I was still alive and I wanted to live. And for some reason I just said, you know, do something, say something. And I just started to pray in silence. You know, I told him to show me a sign. And if he pulled me out of this rubble, if he saved me today, I would change my life and I would do his will. And someone grabbed my hand and they called me by my name. And they said, Janelle, I got you. My name is Paul. And when that person grabbed my hand and told me his name and called me by my name, I said to myself, thank God. And my body just felt completely calm. I didn't feel a pain. But I just holding, I kept holding onto his hand. And I said, thank God, thank God. And he said to me, he said, I'm not gonna let you go. Just keep holding on my hand. Keep holding my hand until the rescuer gets here. I got you, I got you. I was so joyful at that time, knowing that the guys came and finally I'm getting out. Then the doctor switched me into the operating room and told me that I had to go through emergency. I spent like two months in the hospital. I had to do intensive um, therapy, physical therapy. In the hospital, I, I was told that I was the last survivor to be removed from the rubble after 27 hours. Being under the rubble, I knew I'd, I had given my life to Jesus Christ that day. I had made that commitment with God that I will change my life and do His will. I think I'm here to tell a story and to do the will of God as well. I think there is a bigger plan for me. A lot of people would come up to me and said, you know, my story has inspired them so much. I would get emails uh, on the Facebook page and people would just send out emails trying to connect with me, telling me about my story, how it's been just a blessing of hope and inspiration for them. I looked at that as a positive thing for me and it's uh, also a healing process for me too because 
I don't want people to live in fear when a tragedy happened in their life that they, they're supposed to be like, oh, so scared to do everything else and life is over. I see that I'm making an um, impact in what I promised to God of winning, winning soul, I call it winning soul for Jesus because I speak about Him. It's not about, it's not my um, willpower that get me there, it's God's grace on my life that He saved me and pulled me out of that pit. And today I just want to um, give all that glory to Him because without Him I couldn't do it alone. And it's not by luck when people say, oh you're so lucky. That is not luck, that is the grace of God. Just give me a wake up call because if it wasn't for 9-11, I, I think I would not have found Jesus. I would not have been the person I am today. Everything in this life is just temporary, but after this, there's eternal life, and that's what I'm looking forward for. Isn't Janelle Guzman's story wonderful? Yeah. True rescue experience. Um, what did you notice? Just as I mean, everything she spoke about is just you hang on to every word. But as we think about this idea of being rescued, because we're going to talk about that more today, how it changes our life and how how we step forward to be rescued by Jesus. What what did you notice from what she shared about either how she sees being rescued, uh, what she did that day? Poor child in distress. I don't think wants to be there. <laughs> Did anything you notice in particular that she said? There's no right or wrong thing, but anything stand out that she said? And it was 27 hours. I couldn't imagine that. Well, she said it was not her willpower. Yes. She brought her through that it was the grace of God. That is a... She kind of made it sound like she was praying by rote that maybe before it happened she didn't have that kind of faith. And afterwards, her faith was much stronger because she recognized that it's God's grace, not her, her own will. Yes. Uh, two powerful things Mary Gail just mentioned. One, that it wasn't by her willpower. She never once mentioned that, boy, I was just really strong that day to just push through the rubble. And get out. She was stuck. She wasn't going to get out on her own. And there wasn't any moment that she alluded to there was anything that she did that got her out of that situation. Uh, and then the second thing Mary Gail alluded to is the fact that uh, she had had some semblance of God, I guess, before. Uh, and she knew enough, Lord, if you get me out of here, I'll, I'll give my life to you. But it was never something that had really been practically lived out in her life. But it certainly was from that point onward. She lived as a rescued person, uh, took her relationship with God seriously, um, and now it's living for eternal life. Changed everything. It wasn't just a momentary change. Lord, get me out of this. And then she got out and then, then she was back to her old life. That video is probably about 15 years early, uh, or from 15 years later from the time of her original rescue. You can tell that from the picture. So two great observations, Mary Gill. Anything else just about the nature of her rescue, Eileen? It wasn't coincidence. Yes. She did. <laughs> oh, that's good. Did I interrupt your thought? It wasn't coincidence. Yeah, it wasn't just, oh, this is just an accident that happened to me. She clearly understood God had intervened in her life in some way. And she was not going to minimize that. But she still had the responsibility once a rescuer came to do what? Just to hold on to him until the other rescuers would come. It wasn't just that she laid back and, oh, okay, God saved me. I'm laying back now. But she had to hang on to the ones that would rescue her. Other things you just kind of noticed that especially might have a parallel to our own salvation, Ricardo? Just a realization that sometimes, and probably happens quite often, right, that it takes something traumatic to happen in your life for you to finally obey God, right, and, and humble yourself and understand that, uh, that He is God. And that, yes. And you want to be with Him forever. So you do whatever it takes, you know, by submitting to His will over your life. Yes. Ricardo just alluded to one of the most powerful things that converts people to Christ is it's something traumatic in their life. It's not that you want traumatic things to happen to people, but those sometimes get our attention like nothing else does. A near-death experience, uh, something like that. Because uh, when you've been kind of living fast and loose, or you just kind of have not been impacted by 
life and its challenges and what you're doing, uh, the fact that you might die, and these are your final hours or final moments, just like when turbulence hits on an airplane and it plummets or something like that, uh, that's when many people at least take God seriously in the moment, but it doesn't always stay once they land. Uh, but it does get their attention, so traumatic experience can, can be very valuable. Uh, things that are painful that are frightening, too. Very good. Anything else? Because it certainly got her attention. Loretta? Yeah, uh, when she, she had to hold on when he uh, said just hold on, but she also surrendered at that time because when she said, I got you, and she knew she was going to be rescued or saved, she relaxed. Her body just gave way. So full surrender. She didn't even feel the pain anymore. Yes. Just knowing that I've got you, you're going to be saved. You know, you can now release your, your, yourself. Surrender to me fully. That's a great observation, Loretta, because I'd listened to that twice, and I'd heard that, but I'd, unlike the other things, I hadn't let that sink in a little bit. The minute he had her, saying, is she felt safe at that moment. She didn't say, okay, let's start digging, and but we got to get out of here. She felt this sense of relief and calm that she was going to be okay, uh, a degree of trust, which is going to have a dramatic parallel to our own saving. And not that she has to start digging harder or anything like that, but now she trusts, but she still has to hang on. Um, and that's our challenge, too, as people uh, faithful to the Lord. The Lord doesn't expect us to do something we can't do or outside of our ability, but he does expect us to hang on, and we have to reach out and grab on to what's been extended to us. So any, those are all great. These all tie into what we're going to talk about today. Anything else that you noticed? Anything else that she said or about her experience? Because these are all things that... I thought you'd catch as you listened and that I caught. Just beautiful story. Ricardo? I don't know this maybe is off the track, but that she didn't say that the person that, uh, that saved her, what, what happened to that, that individual that, that, that first uh, you know, encountered her when she was under the rubble. If that person was a, somebody that she thanked later on or anything like that, that kind of was wondering about that. Yeah, she didn't mention that person. By name, she saw them as an instrument, I guess, and she saw God as the ultimate Savior. But even though she didn't mention that person by name, she never thought she was the, she was the one who saved herself. She doesn't entertain at all the idea that she did anything other than hang on, which is a powerful parallel to our salvation. And maybe in a longer interview, and there are longer clips on YouTube she may mention, and that she, I'm sure she remembers, but she never attributed anything to herself other than doing what she needed to do. And she'd been there 27 hours. Right. I heard her say Paul. Oh. He, he, he called her Good. name, and she asked, either she asked his name, That's right. said I was Paul, and the rest was become. My thought at that time was that he was not a life human being that he was a spirit. That was my first thought that yeah. he he was he was he was Paul incarnate or an angel of the Lord that had come hmm. to let her know that salvation was at hand. Yeah. Hmm. And that she just needed to hold on and relax until yeah. the others would come to rescue her. Oh wow I'm gonna have to listen to this again. Others that were gonna come that made me think he was an apparition perhaps. Now, maybe he was live. She never mentioned him again. But when I got to see him, you know, they talk about wanting to see that person. And so that just made me think more. Well, maybe he really was a spirit. But he could have been someone. But how did he know her name? Out of all those people that yeah, so I'm going to listen to this again. So, I, yeah, very she, interesting. She asked God to save her. And he sent Paul to say, I got you. Hold on. Until they come. Until they come. Yeah. And then she just... Relax. All right, I want to listen to this again because I, I listened to that, but I didn't listen deep enough. But, but you all caught that. She did say Paul. How she, I just, I think it wasn't listening close enough. I just thought that was his name, but then there's others coming in. Clearly, there's something else going on there. He called her by her name. He's like, hi, let's say Maria. Hi, Maria, I'm Paul. And I'm here to rescue you. 
Just hold on. Okay. Don't go, go. Okay. How did he know her name? But hearing her name made her know that she was saved. That somebody was there for her. Okay. Now I grasp it deeper. Okay. Very good. You guys are good listeners. If you're my students, I'd say, oh, that's great. No more notes for the rest of the day. <laughs> no, that's good. I wanted you because you obviously are listening closely. So we're going to tie these things into the lesson today. Um, we've already kind of laid the groundwork by looking at this because what you see in this account of rescue is very strikingly similar to what God does through us through Jesus and also brings out our role. So we're going to talk today. Go ahead and bring this up, Jay, on the screen. Amazing grace and answer. Uh, amazing grace and answer. Understanding and responding to being rescued or being saved. We want to understand this whole process, uh, not only in what God is doing for us, but also what we do in response to receive this grace that he extends to us. We sing the song, um, Amazing Grace. It's simply worded like this. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found was blind, but now I see. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. T'is grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. The Lord has promised good to me, his word my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. <clears throat> yea, when this flesh and heart shall fail and mortal life shall cease, I shall possess within the veil a life of joy and peace. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. This great hymn captures the panorama of the salvation experience that we are in this wretched state. We believe, we put our trust in God, we respond to Him. Then He's going to see us through this life. And in that very last stanza, when we've been there 10,000 years, shining bright as the sun, uh, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. And just as Janelle could see not only her rescue, she could also see into the future. She's now living for eternal life. And what a beautiful picture. Let's look at how we ought to see it. this great theme of grace. You noticed it in Nathaniel's songs. We sang about it for years. Uh, this idea of amazing grace. There's been new hymns that talk about the word grace. Uh, the dictionary definition of grace is unmerited favor. I remember learning that growing up. It means we don't deserve it. Or we didn't earn it in some way. Uh, we don't deserve God's grace by being good, because we'll never be good enough. Uh, goodness comes after salvation as our life is changed. Uh, we're simply people that were found in a desperate position, just as Janelle uh, was in a desperate position. Uh, Paul says in the Roman epistle, we are dead in our sins or trespasses. We were going nowhere. Uh, we cannot, in our sinful state, self-medicate by being good enough or to make up for things we did in our past life, things we've thought, things we acted upon, things we've said. We can't make up for those things. So Paul says we are dead in our trespasses. And he says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we're all in the same predicament as Janelle. We're stuck in a situation, except we caused it. She was caught there by accident. We caused our own problem. But we're still equally stuck as she was, in need of a desperate rescue. And as I thought about, well, how do you describe that in a way that we even further capture the rescue? I want to consider grace this morning as an opportunity of a lifetime. We've been given an opportunity of a lifetime that we'll never get any other place and in any other way other than through Jesus Christ. I want to explore just for a moment the idea of being born again. Michael in his lessons a few weeks ago explored this text in depth of Nicodemus in John chapter 3. But let's look at it just again quickly. John chapter 3. 
Because here Jesus describes in a very powerful way what's happening when we're being saved or we're being rescued. First of all, notice the, the way Nicodemus is looking at it. He sees this encounter with Jesus as more of an intellectual exercise. He says, we know that no one... Uh, can say the things or do the things that you do unless God were with him. That's equivalent of Janelle when the rescuer comes saying, hey, I know that you can't be anyone else but a firefighter. You've got a blue uniform on. Uh, you must be a rescuer. That's kind of an intellectual response. You're not going to say that if you've been buried for 27 hours. You're not going to start exploring the paperwork of the rescuer. You're just going to say, thank God. That you're here. But that is not the idea of Nicodemus. He just wants to go through this intellectual exercise about Jesus. That's why Jesus almost stops in mid-sentence and says, Very truly I say to you, verse 3, no one can see the kingdom of God. That means no one's going to be rescued unless they are born again. In other words, he's saying you've got to get out of the predicament you're in, even as a religious leader. But he invokes this idea of being born again, how that... Jesus is not going to just make us a little bit better than we were yesterday. He's not going to give us 10 new sets of principles to live by. Jesus is not going to give us a pamphlet in the book of here's how to live better tomorrow than you have yesterday. He doesn't do anything that maybe pop culture would do to simply say, here's how to have a better life. He doesn't invite Nicodemus to go to a conference for three days to learn how to be better. He tells him, you've got to be what? Born again. And then he dispels that idea as if Nicodemus thinks it could happen. He's talking about some physical rebirth. I think even Nicodemus knows he's not talking about that. Nicodemus just doesn't think any radical change like that applies to him. But Jesus says, you must be born again. Then he specifies what that means in verse 5. You must be born of the water and the spirit. So there's some dimension of water that's envisioned here that we'll see brought out later in scripture but also the spirit of God God working on someone to bring about this change and what we're going to see here is that being born again involves our response to God and then his work on our life and I could simply describe this as an opportunity of a lifetime because we don't get this anywhere else again it's an amazing rescue look at Galatians chapter 1, verse 5. We looked at this uh, previously, um, but I'm enthralled with this idea of being rescued because there's so many examples of rescue. Um, Galatians chapter 1, verse 3, Paul says to the Galatians, people who've been rescued, he says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, According to the will of God our Father, God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So here Paul says, thanks be to God who gave himself, or Jesus gave himself for our sins under the Father's plan to rescue us from the present evil age. Paul is emphasizing it's a work of God. He is the ultimate rescuer. He is the one who decided, even before the creation of the world, that he's going to have to rescue the people he creates. Because he's going to give them free will, and they last, apparently, in Genesis 3, about 15 minutes. Handling freedom choice. Adam and Eve take the fruit that they were told not to take of, and all of a sudden they fall into the state of sin. So God has planned for the rescue, and in the process of time, Galatians says, he sends the rescuer, which is Jesus. But then he gives all the glory, verse 5 here, Galatians 1.5, to God, whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. The glory is not in the rescued. <laughs> the rescued, just like with Janelle, don't spend even 10 seconds talking about how strong they were or how smart they were to reach out. Janelle simply gave all credit to the rescuer. So much that as Eileen noticed and others commented how that once she realized she was rescued, her complete trust was in the rescuer and she felt a complete sense of relief. That's how powerful it was that someone else was rescuing her and she wasn't climbing out on her own. Colossians 1 verse 13, Paul again says the idea of being rescued. He says, 
uh, in verse 12, and giving joyful thanks, Colossians 1, 12, and 13, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his people in the kingdom of light, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his Son. And Paul again says in Romans 7, 24, and 25, who will deliver or who will rescue me from this body of death? We need someone else to intervene. Because we, in the majority of our life, have been dead in sins, just as Janelle was buried for 27 hours. Unable to extricate herself, we are unable to extricate ourselves from our sin. But it's even more than just being rescued. There's this idea Jesus invokes of John 3 of being born again. Not just being rescued and like dusted off and being given a drink of water and being taken to our cars and shown the keys. Okay, go ahead and drive home. You've been rescued. What did Janelle have to do after being rescued? She had to go where? Not home. To the hospital. To the hospital. How, how long? For two months. Two months. I, I, you guys listened so well I knew I could ask that. And Austin said it before I finished the, the question. She was there two months rehabilitating a very broken body. And then after she gets out, does she now say, okay, I'm going to go back to my old life. Uh, where's, where's my job now going to be? Where's my car? No. She says now her life is going to be devoted to whom? To God. Yes. Yeah, so she made this commitment <clears throat> while buried that she was going to give her life to God. And she's following through with that commitment, which is exactly what the Christian life looks like as well. Um, this amazing grace, as we consider it as an opportunity of a lifetime is also an amazing reset. It's a reset. I remember in the early days of having a, a computer. Remember those days where you, when you had a problem, you had to call tech support? You got on tech support, and a lot of times it was a, with a dial-up connection uh, we were trying to wrestle with. I remember being on, in my church office one time for two hours with a tech support guy somewhere trying to work through my problem. Me trying to describe it on the phone, him trying to describe it back, and it took forever. And I remember eventually he got to the point of saying, well, Mr. Mulligan, we just need to reset your computer. And I learned the most valuable thing, if you have a computer problem, don't try to push all these buttons, just push one button, hold it for about 15 seconds, because what does that do to your computer when you hit the on-off? It resets it. It wasn't him trying to go back. Well, what did you do 15 minutes ago? What button do you push 20 minutes ago? Uh, that might have led you straight. He says, he said the tech, you just have to do a complete reset to turn the computer off and then back on all over again, and you get this restart. That's exactly what the Christian life is. When we are born again, when we receive God's amazing grace, we have an amazing opportunity to reset our lives which we don't get anywhere else. Let's look at a verse that shares that great truth. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. <clears throat> 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. And then we'll look at uh, uh, chapter 2, verse 22 through 24. Uh, Peter is the one doing the speaking. Peter is one of the 12 apostles. He's one of the hand-picked group, followed Jesus around and listened to his teaching uh, during the time that Jesus was on the earth. And he's someone that Jesus designated to be a leader in the early church in the role of teaching. And here he will use what he obviously had been instructed concerning the nature of our changed life. And he has this thought of us being born again. And notice how he develops it even further. Uh, Jesus said we need to be born of the water and the spirit. Here Jesus kind of gives us more, or Peter gives us more idea what that is. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3. Peter writes to a group of Christians who've been baptized already. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us what? New birth. There it is. Into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in... Heaven for you, 
who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Let's stop here. Let's go back to verse 3 and kind of highlight um, some of the things that we're being told. First of all, Peter begins by giving credit to who for this whole born-again experience? God. Verse 3, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not praise be to us for figuring it all out or working real hard to be good. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Rescuer. Praise be to Him. It says, in His great mercy, not our goodness, in His great mercy, He has given us new birth. Not just a chance to live the last 10 years all over again, or go back to high school and start then, but a brand new rebirth. He's given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So here it's not only a brand new life that's being granted, it's life after this life. Because the resurrection of Christ from the dead points not only to a change of life, where we go from being a dead person to now a brand new person back to life. Paul says elsewhere we've been brought from death to life. But we are literally also physically being brought from death to life, that even though we die, we all have an appointment with the grave or the crematorium, just to put it bluntly. We can live again. We have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And a living hope into what, verse 4? Into an inheritance that can never spoil, never fade or perish, and it's kept in heaven for us. Remember what Janelle said at the very end of her video? That she's awaiting eternal life. She recognizes that she had this physical rescue out of the rubble, but then she had this greater rescue when she fully gave her life to Jesus Christ, and then that conversion experience will carry her on into eternity. Her whole life was changed by this born-again experience. But it says also, verse 5, you who through faith are shielded by God's what? Power, God's power, until the coming of the salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. Remember again, Janelle, the minute she was grabbed by the rescuer, she felt what? A great sense of relief. That she was now not dependent on her own ability to stay alive another hour, but now someone else with the power to get her out of that rubble was there. And that took all the pressure off her. And she put herself into the rescuer's hands. And that's what we are doing, verse 5, through faith are shielded by God's power. It's not that we're baptized and now we've got to be really good every moment of every hour and we've got to be perfect. And we just got to hope that we are perfect enough when Christ comes. No, we put ourselves in God's hands, in His power, to carry out the rescue till He calls us home to heaven one day. That's the great parallel of being born again. We're born again, but... The life continues on to carry us all the way into heaven. Look at chapter 2 now. Chapter 2 of verse, uh, 1 Peter, verse 22. 1 Peter 2, verse 22. It says, <clears throat> actually we'll start verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. So again, the focus is on what God has done. Now look at chapter 1. Go back to chapter 1. I think this is what it meant, even though the other verse tied in beautifully. Uh, chapter 1, verse uh, 23. 1 Peter 1, 23 says, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like as grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fail. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And then he says at the very end of verse 25, And this is the word that was what? Preached to you. Here part of their rescue and part of their being born again is their response. Remember the title of the lesson, Amazing Grace and Amazing Answer. Part of this experience of being saved by grace is how we respond to it. It's how we respond to it. And Peter's highlighting that you were born again through the living and enduring Word of God. And you might say, I thought we were saved by Jesus. It's both. 
Jesus is the rescuer. <clears throat> but what did the rescuer tell Janelle? You need to just hang on. You've got to reach out and grasp. There's a part that we play in the conversion process that in no way takes the glory away from God. He is the rescuer through His Son, Jesus Christ. But we have this necessary human response where we need to do what we're told to do. And that's exactly what Janelle did. And she did what the rest, just hang on. And she did. She didn't ask, well, why do I have to hang on? And she didn't ask, well, do I need to hang on with five fingers or four? And how long will I be hanging on? She doesn't entertain any of that. Whatever he tells her to do, she's going to do it. And that's our challenge, too, because we're going to look next at well, what, did, what did the first people do that were told to respond to this grace? What did they do to be saved? What did they do? What was their response to being rescued to receive this great um, opportunity? This last text we're going to look at is going back to the book of Acts chapter 2. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, the fifth book. The value of this book is it shows us, it's a historical book that shows us how people became Christians. It shows us what their life was like. It shows what was important. It shows what they were taught. It shows these Christians that were saved going into these small groups called churches. It shows the spread of Christianity. So it tells us, Here's what early Christians did, and these early Christians had the teaching of the apostles like Peter. So they were told by Jesus' hand-picked emissaries, here's what to do. So we can't go wrong when we look at what they were told to do if we just do the same. So let's pick up in chapter 2, and I want to first set the scene. This is about 40 to 50 days after Christ went back into heaven after he was resurrected. Jesus told his apostles, go into Jerusalem. Stay there and the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. That has already happened in the early part of chapter 2. And then we're going to find the apostle Peter standing up and preaching after he's been empowered by God to be a powerful speaker of the truth of Jesus. He's going to start preaching a sermon to a large group of Jewish people that are gathered there for the Jewish festival. They're not there to hear a lesson on Christianity. They're not there to hear about Jesus. Peter just all of a sudden stands up speaking, but he starts speaking in a language they all can understand. So they're all captivated by what he's doing because they, they all know they're of different ethnic backgrounds, but they're all hearing what he's saying. And that's God's power working through him. And he preaches this sermon of how that Jesus had been planned by God. The prophets of the Old Testament had spoken about him. And he gets to the crucial part of the sermon, like point three. And basically says, this one that God sent to save you, you did what to him? You crucified him, right, Ricardo? You killed your Savior. Can you imagine Janelle doing that? Killing the rescuer? But that's what the people here had done. But they didn't fully realize that's what they had done. Jesus just made them angry about a lot of things they didn't think need to be changed. But now they realize that they just killed their rescuer. So we're going to jump in, point three of his sermon, where they kind of almost in the sermon say, what can we do? We just killed the person that came to save us. <clears throat> Let's begin reading. Verse 36. This is where we're jumping in. And we'll see what they were told to do about killing their rescuer. Uh, verse 36. Peter's preaching, and he says, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Verse 37. When the people heard this, they were what? Cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Verse 38. Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Verse 40, 
And with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them saying, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. There's so much to look at. Let's just hit one after another. Uh, first of all, they're told the truth. Verse 36. The one that God sent to you, you crucified. And whenever we're talking to people about their problem with sin, we can't sugarcoat it. We can't turn it into cotton candy. People at some point are going to have to hear that, hey, just like I was dead in my sins, buried in rubble of my own doing, you are too. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory. We're not pointing that out in glee. We're just saying this is the reality. We're all trapped in rubble. So someone has to hear the truth. Peter told the truth to him, verse 36. The people were properly convicted, verse 37. It says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said, what shall we do? Uh, cut to the heart means they were, the message had got in and it had sunk in. They weren't entertaining the idea, well, are you sure we killed them? Or I wasn't really there that day. Um, I, was way, I was 50 yards away. No one was entertaining the idea that they were not responsible for killing their Savior or guilty of sin. They just responded to the message that was that they'd killed their Savior and that Jesus was truly the Son of God and still their Savior. And that's the greatness of this message. Despite them doing the worst thing someone could do, that is kill the rescuer, they could still be rescued. Um, so it says here, uh, they were cut to the heart and Peter said to them, uh, and the, or they said to Peter and other apostles, what shall we do? Peter tells them, here's, here's how you can still be rescued. Verse 38, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, or in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. The first thing he tells them is they need to repent. They already believe that Jesus is the Son of God. They heard the entire first and second and the beginning of the third point of the sermon about who Jesus is as the Son of God. They were convinced he was the Messiah, not just some Jewish insurrectionist against Rome. They believed that Jesus was the Son of God. They just heard that they killed him. They killed the rescuer. They're convinced he's the rescuer. They killed him, though, thinking he was someone else. So the first thing they're told to do is they have to do what? Starts with an R? Repent. They have to change that mindset that got them in the problem to start with. Killing your rescuer? Who does that? But someone that doesn't want to hear the truth or someone that just wants to live their own lifestyle and and do what they want to do on Friday night, and say what they want to say, and tell what jokes they want to tell, and things like that. That's someone who kills a rescuer. They don't want to be rescued. And Peter's telling them, you've got to change that mentality of when someone's telling you the right thing to do, or someone's trying to rescue you, you kill them. <laughs> Repent means to change. It doesn't mean in five minutes your whole life turns around. Repent means you commit yourself to change. It means to do a 180-degree turn where whatever you were doing, now you go the opposite direction. It's doing a life U-turn. It's the amazing reset. That's something we have to do, but it's a great blessing. Where else do we get that in life? A chance to turn all over again. And this is something you wouldn't want to argue with. That Do I really have to change my life? Where do we get this? Uh, in our prison system, we get parole. <laughs> we get probation get reincarcerated, <laughs> death penalty, things like that. And those are all a part of our legal system, and I don't challenge any of them. But where in your life do you get someone saying, you can start all over again with me? Do you get it from a relative whose feelings you hurt five years ago? They won't talk to you on the phone? Do you get it from a coworker that felt like they were done in by you getting a promotion and they didn't? Do you get that kind of grace from them? Do you get it from a neighbor who's angry about all the noise coming from your place? <laughs> or from the fact that leaves are falling on their ground from their, uh, your tree and things like that? We don't get a whole lot of grace in our world. We get some nice people at times. Some really nice neighbors, some nice friends, and wonderful family members. But not always. But I don't know anyone we get a complete reset from. If I did something on my job that violated the moral code of the San, or San Mateo Unified School District, they come walk me out, and I'll never work there again. 
And that's the way it is in life. There's some things where you just don't get to go back to where you were. But in Jesus Christ, in this amazing grace, we have this opportunity to be born again and start life all over again no matter what we've done. These people killed Jesus. As we think about things we might have done on a Saturday night or thoughts we might have thought or things we said to someone that we wish all our lives we could take back, um, just to think that we can be forgiven of that and know that because if people that killed the Son of God, killed the rescuer, can be forgiven of that, we can certainly be forgiven of what we did. The Apostle Paul talks about even though he was a persecutor of Christians, the chief of sinners, God showed his grace to him. His matchless grace of Jesus Christ. It's an amazing reset being born again. So he tells them they got to change. We got to change if we're going to be born again. We got to change from whatever got us into the predicament. And then he says, be baptized. Every one of you. Now he's not talking to infants here. He's not talking to little children. They're just there for the day. They can't understand what it means to kill their Savior, let alone having done it. He's talking here to adults of full mental capacity that were guilty of killing their Savior and could understand that and could also understand the answer. We don't find in the Bible babies being baptized. We don't find little children being baptized just because it's something the parents want. We find people that are guilty of sin being baptized and people that can understand Jesus as the Messiah, as the Savior. Those are the ones who are the every one of you because they're the ones that are guilty. Every one of you be baptized uh, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. They were familiar with the idea of baptism. John was already preaching a baptism of repentance. For anyone that wanted to convert to Judaism, they had to go through rituals of cleansing. And so their idea, they were familiar with the idea of baptism. And baptism was simply someone being immersed in water and then brought right back out. The water didn't do anything to physically wash them off because that wasn't the problem. That's what a bath is for, or a shower. Baptism symbolized the place of God's work, where sins were washed away, where the true cleansing or the true rescue happened. We'll look at this more in depth, because there are all kinds of different ideas about baptism floating around by very devout religious groups. In a week or two, maybe even next week, we're going to talk about baptism in more in depth, but it was the place where God did his work. So he tells them, you've got to be baptized. He doesn't say they were saved when they believed that Jesus was the Messiah. Even they didn't believe that. They said, what must we do? They already believed. He's told them they need to repent. They've acknowledged their faith. And by just saying, what can we do? There's still more one thing they need to do. Just as Janelle needed to grasp on they needed to go to the place where salvation was offered, that is baptism. And the Bible teaches when someone is baptized, immersed in water, when they come out, that's when the sins are washed away. Not because they feel it, not because they see sins disappearing, but simply because God said that is the place where sins are forgiven. And we don't argue with it. Just as Janelle did not argue with the rescuer, he said, grab on to me. She didn't say for how long or why. Or can I be rescued another way? Is there a helicopter coming? She didn't do anything like that. She just did it. Not even understanding how that would really get her out. She just recognized the rescuer told her to do that. And she did it. And the purpose is to be forgiven of sins. In the Bible, forgiveness of sins does not happen at an earlier point than being baptized. We do need to believe. We do need to repent. We even need to confess Jesus as Lord. But forgiveness of sins is never talked about as happening before someone is baptized. It's a place where we go to receive forgiveness. And then look what they did, verse 40. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Then verse 41, Acts 2. Those who did what? Those who accepted the message, the grab on, accepted the message, were what? Baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Verse 44, all the believers 
were together, had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Verse 46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being what? Saved or rescued. Here these rescued people, 3,000 at once were baptized. They didn't argue. They didn't mess around. They were baptized. And then they continued on as saved people, just like Janelle when she was rescued. She went to rehab, uh, to the hospital to get that body healed. And that's what these early Christians are doing. They're devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. They're fellowshipping together. That's where the strength is. Their number is growing. And Luke records that the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. So all these rescued people are together, getting strength from each other. No one's saying, hey, after they're being baptized, see you later. I hope to see you sometime in the future. Just as Janelle understood, the rest of her life was going to be different. Not only physically, but spiritually. These early believers understood because they followed the apostles' teaching that the rest of their life would be different. It's an opportunity of a lifetime. We're born again. We're rescued. We have this great reset to start all over again. The slate is wiped clean. And we have these amazing steps of response. And in conclusion, these, fine, these steps of repentance and baptism, confessing Christ as Lord, they're none that require some college degree. They're not complicated. They're, they're not things that are, wow, I can't understand what he's really telling us to do here. These are all things that are very clear on what to do, but they require a will. That's why Luke records those who accepted his message, not those who figured it out, not those who were more educated or not those who were, had more money or things like that. Simply those who accepted it. That's the criteria. Do you recognize you're stuck and you'll always be stuck and cannot get yourself out? Or do you not? And if you do recognize that I'm stuck, you accept the message when the rescuer comes and you grab a hold. And the steps of repentance, confession, baptism are simply grabbing a hold and staying with the rescuer, which is Jesus, the rest of our lives. Dramatic parallels. Dramatic parallels here. Next time um, we talk about this idea of conversion, we're going to talk about um, responsibility of a lifetime. We're going to talk about what happens if you, when you sin after you've been baptized. What exactly is God looking for as we change our life? He's not looking just to clean us up. He's looking to do radical things in our life to change us, to be what he's always wanted us to be. So we'll look at that. We'll, seek at what, we'll look at what God is seeking for to be developed in our life that will go all the way to the end of life. Qualities of goodness, of compassion. He's going to show us what he wants to constantly get rid of because Satan's going to be working on us to get us back to the old life. We'll look at those things in the lesson to come. But hopefully this is, a, if you've known these things for years, which many of you have, these things are now even firmly even more firmly rooted, or you're reminded of things you know that are true. But these things are new. Hopefully you see this morning a clear path to what it means to be rescued. You've got to recognize your need, and when the rescuer comes and shows you what to do, you do it. And there's no other way. But there are things you can do to respond rightly to Jesus Christ. We're going to sing a song in just a moment. Nathaniel's going to lead us that will encourage us in this walk of faith because we're believing that God will do these things for us. We live by faith in what he said. And we put our trust, just like Janelle put our trust in the rescuer to get her out of that rubble. One way or another, we're putting our trust in God that we don't see exactly how it's going to happen. He's going to get us through to eternity.